0: Hello, and welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Jamie Schaffer. She's a licensed clinical social worker, health coach, and adolescent specialist at the Mind Body Therapy Center. She provides customized, developmentally appropriate services to her youngest clients using a combination of therapies informed through a lens of chronic pain. Welcome.
2: Thank you, Tom. Um, and I'd like to welcome Jamie Schaffer. Is that how I you pronounce your name? Shaffer. Okay, close enough.
1: Okay. Very close.
2: <laughs> she is a licensed clinical social worker, health coach, and adolescent specialist at the Mind Body Therapy Center. She's trained in pain reprocessing therapy emotional awareness and expressive therapy, as well as intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy. She pulls from her breadth of training and clinical experience to tailor and provide her youngest clients many appropriate services through a chronic pain-informed lens. So I'm excited to talk to her because she works with children and adolescents, which has been a huge interest of mine. And it's a different process in dealing with adults. The practices she talks about, about PRT, EAET, and intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy are, happen to be the disciplines I'm huge fans of. There's lots of psychotherapy that's not that effective, but those three particularly are incredibly effective. We'll talk about that later on the show. So anyway, Jamie, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you on. Thank and you for having me. I'm anxious to learn a few things here. So um, Jamie, your background is mostly with kids, so I'm curious... Um, a little bit about your story, but how you ended up with this type of training is mostly towards adults. And it's definitely a challenge to bring this to the kids. Their brains are different as we'll discuss, but I was curious as far as your story. And you also talked about a sister who had some serious issues that really healed with some of these tools. So I'm guessing it's part of your story, but how did you end up coming into this whole world of mind, body medicine?
0: Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's such a great question. So I've always been really interested in non-pharmacological interventions for for anxiety and for pain. I watched my sister go from doctor to doctor to doctor and my mom really tirelessly um, looking for multiple consults and then coming to the conclusion, oh, it seems like the only thing that she could do was have surgery. And it was this really heartbreaking conclusion that my mom came to and that my sister came to, and she had been involved in dance for so long. And she was this star gymnast and she would always um, rate better than me at gymnastics meets. She was just this really active kid that had chronic pain tear away from her, all of these things that she valued. And then the surgery wasn't even successful. And
2: yeah, I ask you how old was she was when she started with her back pain.
0: Yeah. So she was, she was an adolescent. She was on the younger end. Right. Around 10 years old when she started with her pain. And and you know, it was it was this experience of going from so active to feeling so disempowered and being told you can't be active. You absolutely can't be active. You have to give up all of these things that you love and it led to so much worry and so much avoidance and it made her world smaller and smaller and smaller
2: right and how old was when how old was she when she had the surgery
0: yeah she was around like um let's say she was 14 or 15
2: okay so this is probably a different podcast because this is actually the reason i quit my practice
1: mm-hmm. so i'm
2: guessing she had what's called a spondylolisthesis is that correct
0: so she, she had, had a micro
2: Oh, that was how it, how it started. Okay. Interesting. Anyway, that's a different topic, but, but that's been one of my missions in life is that we doctors don't talk to the patients. We actually make anxiety worse. And as you know, with my work, anxiety is the pain, just a physiological state, not psychological. And so what we do in medicine, we don't give patients the time. We don't talk to them. We don't explain things to them. We don't teach them how to calm the nervous systems And we jump into procedures, and this one may have been appropriate. I can't really comment on that. But in general, even if the surgery is appropriate, unless your patients feel safe with their physician or clinician, whatever field they're in, nothing else works. And so that's a huge topic that we may talk about sometime in the future. But with your, as you told me, she's doing much better now using the principles you have also used. How old is she now?
0: Yeah. She's in her thirties and she'll bike to work now.
2: Okay. And so she, so as far as your journey how you became introduced to these mind body principles, how did that happen?
0: Yeah. So I was looking to make the shift from, from working in, in fundraising and grant writing for over a decade and actually working with, with adolescent youth groups simultaneously. A lot of the fundraising was for, was for adolescent youth groups. And I wanted to make the shift to private practice. And Daniel opened up his practice. And so I applied for a position for his practice and he hired me. And that's really how I made the shift.
2: Right. But what tweaked your interest? Why you working with kids and yeah. something tweaked your interest to pursue a different path?
0: Absolutely. So I, I feel like so many of... modalities all of these evidence-based practices pain reprocessing therapy emotional awareness and expression therapy intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy they are so incredibly powerful and really a lot of them a lot of the components are geared towards adults but i believe
2: towards what? are,
0: are geared towards adults and i believe so strongly in early intervention and we know that psychoeducation is early intervention right? And if we can start on the front end and we can work with youth, right? We can teach them about psychoeducation. Yes, pain is meant to be protective, but the pain system can become overprotective, and hurt doesn't always mean harm. Right. Then I think that we can have less youth potentially in chronic pain.
2: Right. So let me back up for a second. So we went through those three things pretty quickly. So just to be clear, can you explain pain reprocessing therapy compared um, to emotional awareness and expression therapy, as well as intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy? They have some common roots.
0: Yes. Um, yeah. I'll be
2: honest, to be honest with you, from my own personal, process, own personal understanding that emotional awareness and expression therapy is sort of the core and then EP goes a certain direction and pain reprocessing goes a little bit different direction. Is that a fair assumption that the emotional awareness therapy is sort of the core of this whole thing?
0: Yeah, So I feel like emotional awareness and expression therapy is this great synthesis between pain reprocessing therapy and intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy. And okay. Dr. Schubener has okay. done so much research around this practice and with emotional awareness and expression therapy where we're really looking at psychoeducation around right. the neuroscience of pain and and simultaneously looking at the relationship between defenses, anxiety and symptom. So to your point about anxiety playing such a huge role in symptom and um With pain reprocessing therapy, what I think of is is this cognitive behavioral approach that's really rooted in the neuroscience of pain that leans heavily into psychoeducation initially to create safety because then there's a lot of really intentional exposure work, such as somatic tracking, which blends together mindfulness, safety reappraisal, positive affect induction to really change the relationship someone has with their pain so let me
2: back up just for a second because um again the audience isn't totally familiar with these terms so i'm going to get educated again also so mm-hmm. emotional awareness and expression training is really key and i and dr schudner by the way is my mentor i don't know if you knew that he's he's a guy that got me into this whole process myself
0: he's wonderful
2: he's a friend, a good friend of mine we play golf together he comes to berkeley every summer and i'm sorry every he'll be here in march when we play a few rounds of golf together He's an incredibly good golfer. I'm an incredibly bad golfer, so I have to live with that. <clears throat> so that causes me pain, but he doesn't seem to mind inflicting it's that. Emotional
0: pain, that, pain physical pain.
2: That, every pain, every pain possible, okay. humor, lotion, et cetera.
0: Yeah.
2: Anyway, um, but anyway, he's a good friend of mine. He's my mentor. But I will say that the one thing that he does, it doesn't quite come out in the research, he's going to be have the most incredible relationship with his patients you can imagine. I mean, people feel really safe with him. And we know when you feel safe, it changes your body's chemistry and the pain really does drop down. So let me just put it in my words and see if you can correct me. So I'm gonna work with pain reprocessing therapy first. Oh. So as far as my understanding of it is that you have back pain or neck pain, whatever pain you have. And then what happens in medicine, which you just talked about, we tend to um, scare our patients. You know, your spine's old, it's 80 years old. So people develop a fear well, as you know, with my work, anxiety is the pain. It's just a sensation sensation generated by fight or flight. So it's a physiological state, not psychological. So your doctor tells you you have a back of an 80-year-old or it's going to fall apart or it needs surgery. You have increased fear. So th- I'm going to let you take it from there as far as pain and reprocessing therapy. So I come to you, mm-hmm. I have pain. And um, what do you, with a PRT approach, how do you approach that?
0: Yeah. And that's so common that someone has seen so many different practitioners and gotten these really scary messages. the, The person comes to me and through a pain reprocessing therapy approach, what I'll do is I'll really take a history and get a sense of what the person's been told. I'll assess for neuroplastic pain. And some of the questions might be, did your pain start with an injury? Did it not start with an injury? Do you notice that when you're stressed, you have more or less pain? Are your symptoms consistent or inconsistent? Do they vary based upon the time of day? Do you notice when you're on vacation, you have less pain? Do you notice when it feels like you're in a vice or you're disempowered? there's more pain? Is there a bilateral presentation? So really wanting to take a history to assess where the client is at in terms of, is this a structural presentation? Is this a neuroplastic presentation? Because we want to establish safety. We need to establish safety before someone can buy in, especially because so many of these clients come to us after having seen so many different practitioners, to your point about doctors and and instilling this sense of fear. And so we really, really need to create safety from that. And so after this the psychoeducation on the neuroscience of pain and building the evidence list, then we start leaning into somatic tracking. And what that is is it's this combination of mindfulness. So looking at the sensation, the pain or the neural circuit dizziness through this lens of mindfulness and safety reappraisal, right? Reminding ourselves that it's temporary, that that hurt or dizziness, it doesn't actually mean damage, right? It doesn't always mean damage. And then positive affect induction, which is essentially relax, relaxing imagery um, or something that really puts a smile on a client's face. So bringing some levity into the work
2: Right. So I just had a conversation 10 times this week is that the antidote to pain, mental and physical, is play.
0: I love that. I love that so much, bringing levity in, because some of these tools and techniques, they can get weaponized.
2: Well, that's one of the, we have the scientific group that we work with, and what we have found out is people pursue all these techniques, PRT, including my technique, if you're using them as ways to quote, fix your pain, the pain runs the show.
0: Exactly. And
2: so exactly. as you just sort of look at it, separate from it and almost laugh at it, what happens that's where Howard and I different tech terminology, even though he's coming to my terminology a little bit more, we actually don't talk about pain anymore. So he talks about the neural circuits and oh. I agree with him, but your body's chemistry changes profoundly. So in play, you do shift neurological circuits into more enjoyable circuits, but your body chemistry goes from adrenaline and cortisol to growth hormone, anti-inflammatory cytokines. There's a profound shift in your body's chemistry. And the reason why symptoms go all over the map, because half the brain is what's called glial cells, which are inflammatory cells, and, and under stress, and people think stress is psychological. It is not. It's just a threat to your existence. And so it's that response of inflammation that fires at the brain. So half the brain's glial cells, your brain itself becomes inflamed, and you have symptoms migrating all over the body. So Howard and I think the same thing. It's basically neural circuitry. I look more physiology, he looks more electricity, basically. But the bottom line is, as you calm down with reassurance, psychoeducation, somatic tracking, um, the body chemistry changes dramatically. The pain really does disappear. It's remarkable. I'm sure you see a lot of that. So I I can talk to you all about the other types of treatments, but the bottom line is you establish a rapport with your patients. Okay. So I really want to get to the adolescents and kids, which is a very specific detail difference because we know for humans, the brain doesn't really fully mature till your late teens and early 20s, as far as deep abstract thinking and philosophy. So is as adolescents, they have a different brain than adults do. Yeah. And then you take kids who are just thinking very concrete terms. Like, for instance, I now now find it somewhat um, disconcerting where parents are trying to teach their kids to share at age two. There's no place for that to land. Good luck. Or eat this food because it's good for you. To a four-year-old, they go on, what are you talking about? So there's no connection there. So with children, adolescents, and young adults, it's a different brain than somebody who's 40 years old. So let's take what you just talked about with PRT, for example, as far as comedy, et cetera. Let's say you have a, let me use a tough example. Um, say you have a 13-year-old with an eating disorder. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm
2: I'm assuming you see some of those.
0: Yeah, yeah, I do have, I do have a team that I see
2: that. Right. So let's say, so, and I think, and again, it's a really long story. Um, I have dealt with a lot of those also. But that is a tough situation, or let's say somebody who's just a um, defiant teenager, which mm-hmm. we get into those a lot, or mm-hmm. the yeah. children is that they want their children fixed. And my point is that unless the parents are less stressed, the kids the kids cannot be less stressed than their parents. That's a whole different conversation again. So with, let's say the kids in front of you, child in front of you, what's your approach that's different than adults?
0: Yeah. And so the question is pertaining to if a parent comes in and they want their kid fixed and how do I approach this child differently? Okay. So with teenagers, I have two consults initially before I even decide whether to take on the client or not. So I'll talk to the parent and I will talk to the teenager. And I... I have pretty strong boundaries. So unless the teenager is a threat to themselves or others, I think that it's really important to establish um, strong clinical boundaries so that I can help establish safety for this teen to even open up to me. And what I do is I really tailor the, the psychoeducation, the neuroscience of pain, or neural circuit dizziness to to the kid that i'm working with to the teen that i'm working with based upon their age and there are times where parents have asked questions about what's happening and so before i answer those questions right like i need to talk to my client i i work for this teen so i need to talk to them and get a sense of hey I got this email, what do you feel comfortable sharing? Do you not feel comfortable sharing? Sometimes that might mean um, a parent coming in towards the tail end of session and just kind of processing what's going on. In terms of the curriculum that I developed, like there'll be a consult with the parent beforehand. I have this handout that's created that really walks the parent through what the curriculum is and how it builds upon itself but i think that it's really important to have strong clinical boundaries because ultimately the child or or the teen is my client and so yes chronic pain, neural circuit dizziness, it impacts the family system. And I do think that there is room for conversation and I'm happy to make recommendations to parents. And I love working collaboratively. It also has to be within the the range of what feels good and safe enough to my client, which is the team.
2: So I'm going to ask you an unfair question.
0: Oh, please do. Okay. This is just Getting well, very I
2: spent the last years of my practice dealing with almost exclusively with family systems because I found out that I could have a given person really do really well. Uh-huh. And then I always thought the families would be excited about the new changes. Yeah, percent of the time, they resisted the patient's improvement. It was unbelievable. I didn't expect that. And so I realized eventually that you have these mesh family patterns. The pain is sort of a outpouring of those interactions with the world with the family being the being the deepest interactions and of course many people in chronic pain have other family members in chronic pain but i can't tell you the number of times that people are doing really nicely yeah. and you think that i always thought the family would be super excited about that and the family either consciously sometimes consciously but unconsciously would pull them right back into the hole so i'm curious what your success is if the family really doesn't want to take responsibility because what happens is that the parents blame the teen for their for the discord of the household? Then of course the teen blames the parents. And so this blame game doesn't stop. It's a big, you know, universal ping-pong game. So let's say the family sort of is unaware, really doesn't want to take responsibility. They want their kid fixed. How do you handle that? But I know it's not a fair question because that's not a simple answer.
0: I I think it's a wonderful question though, because it's it's a relevant question because it happens right and and so i don't conceptualize any child as broken and i don't see that changing in my practice and one of the things that i do at the front end is i make sure that i have these consults with parents too and i really clarify expectations about about roles and it, your question is so great, and I want to kind of take it to this step further, where we talk about a a ten, an eleven, a twelve year old is going to be in their house for a while, right? Mm-hmm. If this is a a seventeen or an eighteen year old, there's there's room for a different discussion, and so when working with an older client, I, if the client does want me to, to include the parents more in that conversation, there's absolutely the opportunity for sessions like that and to clarify expectations and to have really difficult conversations around that. I think that so much of the time, there's this concern with um, just keeping everyone happy and kind of quelling things. And one of the things I love so much about ISTDP is that sometimes we do have to be really intentional about what gets said and to to really kind of call out defenses. And- so I, have
2: to, I have to stop you just for a second. So we need to define ISTDP.
0: Yes. Okay. So intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy, it looks at the relationship between attachment styles and unconscious anxiety and the interplay between that and defenses and this idea of medically unexplained symptoms that we know, right, aren't medically unexplained.
2: So if I want to summarize, it's sort of like the emotional training, except you, it's, blood you go right in deep i like yeah
0: we work with um defenses a lot and so you know focusing away from the defense clarifying a defense really getting to the unconscious kind of this this archaeological dig but without as much dirt and we we focus away from the defenses so a lot of the teens I work with they're so smart and sometimes when I say well how are you feeling about that well I think this yeah that's that's what you think and right there's a lot of value to that do you notice that you answered the question about how you feel with what you think though
2: right got it so this podcast would buy very quickly there's a lot more we're going to talk about in the second podcast so I'd like to just back up for a second in the next podcast we'll talk about a little bit more what you have to offer in a practical basis we actually could talk a very long time so I'm excited from my perspective I'm very excited that you've taken my three basic favorite tools for this the PRT the emotional therapy the ISEP. these are very powerful tools and it's a lot different than fiction and solving it's about, about letting go and moving forward. And they're very effective. So I'm impressed you do all three and I'm impressed you work with adolescents. So could you briefly tell us how to access your services and we'll put them on the, we'll put those on the uh, show notes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I can be reached at jamie at mindbodytherapycenter.org, J-A-M-I-E. And um, that's the easiest way to reach me. Just reach out to me Directly, we also have a contact us form, and I have a online youth group coming up in March. So if you go onto the Mind Body Therapy Center website, you can sign up. So
2: that. is you is the center something you started, or you work for them, or is this your practice? What what is the Mind Body Center?
0: Yeah, the Mind Body Therapy Center was started by Daniel Lyman, who's absolutely oh, okay, no, wonderful. Yes, I'm. I'm. Right. I thank my lucky stars, I get to work with him. Right. right? And um, so the curriculum, though, I developed. Okay, got awesome. it.
2: So Jamie, thank you very much, and I'm excited about you as a resource, the age group you're working with, your insights, and it's uh, it's wonderful. So thank you for being on the
0: podcast. Thank you for having me.
1: I'd like to thank our guest, Jamie Schaffer, for being on the show today and sharing her career journey through mind-body medicine and discussing the unique insights she's gained in working with adolescent clients. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com.